Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. goes through our nervous system it creates a version of ourselves or it's creating some of the projections of thought in terms of past and future but when consciousness goes through our nervous system and and there's no distortion by thought then it's sort of our original light body version of ourself our original trajectory So the field of consciousness is the field of consciousness, but then it sort of interacts with the field of thought, which could be actually stored in the body. So those thoughts, those words are stored in our body, in our DNA. They're going through our nervous system and and they're distorting the original consciousness, which is love. And the level of the thought is sort of what determines the level of consciousness. But normally we just let this process go on, we don't see what we're doing. I feel like that universal consciousness is spontaneity. But thought, that is the thing that stops us. There's like that spontaneous energy and then the thought comes in and and explains it away. And it explains something in our own voice that we feel is us in order to remain consistent and to not actually experience more of the spectrum of consciousness. And normally we try to actually erase our state by having better thoughts, but really thought is still interrupting that spontaneous energy. So there's a difference between being in a state of joy, being in a spontaneous state of joy and thinking something joyful. Whereas if we were in a spontaneous state of joy, we might think something joyful. And since manic consciousness is so spontaneous and joyful, but most of society and people aren't that way, it can seem rather odd. It's like being spontaneous and joyful for no reason. And the no reason part is the part that is somewhat disturbing. but it's reasons that actually prevent spontaneous joy. Because reason is thought. And on the scale of consciousness of Dr. David Hawkins, reason is actually below joy. I watched a quick Brene Brown clip and she said it's rarely the response that helps, it's the connection. The response is words. What is connection? something more subtle than the words you would think that the words would be more powerful because they're actually something a connection might just be a look in the eyes or 
a touch on the shoulder, I wrote down that the ego is preoccupation. Why are we preoccupied with the past and the future? Why aren't we occupied with the now? The preoccupation is in the prefrontal cortex. We're preoccupied with our own prefrontal cortex and we're missing all of this. And then some of, some of us get connected with this in mania, map consciousness. We're like, oh my God, look where I am. I'm in the most beautiful place in the universe. And then regular consciousness people come and say, no, 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 you're just crazy. We're gonna go back to our prefrontal cortex and so should you. Map consciousness is like a giant sound check. It's like one can hear the sound of love, the voice of love. One can feel the love that makes all of us grow and all the plants grow. It's the love that bathes us all, it's life. I was reading a little bit about the Meisner technique and acting and it sounds kind of like embodied mania in a way because it's like, just do it. Don't act like you're doing it, do it. And it seems like people need to be more like that in reality. I could create some games to illustrate embodied mania. I thought of a game called Yes Mania because there's that movie Yes Man. Yes Mania. And what would a manic person do? And in the training he talked about as you train, the acting comes not from the head but from impulses. So it's almost like he was trying to train impulses back into people. But we've pretty much in society determined that impulses aren't good because those often could be out of alignment with consistency. But life perhaps is built on impulses. Impulses, spontaneity, And he also talked about how good acting comes from the heart. There's no mentality in it. And that's what I wonder with embodied mania is if good living comes from the heart. If there's no mentality in it. I think with map consciousness, the universe is provoking us to perform, to get in touch with our instincts, our spontaneity. We need to act from the heart and not mentalize everything. I feel like normal people have mental eyes, eyes blocked by their own mentations and abstractions. We need to have heart-based eyes and have more heartation instead of mentation. I think heartation is a term for thinking, seeing, and perceiving with the heart. And for that, one has to see through one's own mentations. The heart is likely seeing things as they are now, and the, the mind is saying reasons from the past. I think I already talked about how I saw that when you hear and see something, that it's active learning, whereas if you just read something, it's passive learning. So I'm definitely engaged in active learning with myself. 
I was thinking about empathy plus empowerment, and I think the two together equal seeing somebody's possibility. Working in mental health, I have a lot of empathy for people. But I think that I get stuck there because I lack the empowerment factor, being able to empower somebody. And perhaps it's because I don't see the possibility as much like within the mental health system. So I think by, by s switching to something more empowering, I'll be able to support people to see possibility for themselves more so than if they remain in the mainstream paradigm. And I also realize that this energy, this extra energy of map consciousness wants to love and learn. I feel I just need to keep unfolding possibility in the spirit of love and learning. I haven't really talked about the fly video that I made. I called it the fly whisperer. And a bunch of flies hung out with me on a coconut for like an hour. And at the time I really felt like it was an important happening in my life because it sort of showed that at a certain level of consciousness one really is one with all of life to the point where life isn't afraid of itself. Life isn't afraid of life and it doesn't matter what the form of life it is because somehow those flies knew that I wasn't going to squash them. Because I wasn't. And I wasn't afraid of them, I wasn't grossed out by them, I wasn't judging them. I was curious about them, I was playing with them, I was interested in them, I, I respected them, I, I felt love towards them, I thought they were cute, and I was interested in their dynamics. seems like that's when my brain started working that way. I just realized that we are that consciousness. We're not the ego me. And that one consciousness can animate us or we can be distorted by the personal ego. And that personal ego distortion has created this whole complex mess of society. I feel like mental illness is actually distress of the heart. It's like the heart is perceiving now how far away the mind has moved from the heart. From the heart's desires. It's like the calling of synchronicity. It's almost like synchronicity is increased coincidences in order for one to get back on the path of the heart 
Because if one was to rely on the mind and its plans and its goals, one would only end up way further away from one's heart. So the heart beats in a certain way to create synchronicity, to reacquaint one with the magic of life as opposed to the distress of mentalizations. And it's like mental illness is like light club. We've been told not to talk about light club. We've been told not to talk about our experiences, our light, our inner light. Maybe we need to talk about that light. And psychosis is like virtual actuality. We have virtual reality stuff now, but psychosis is like virtual actuality. It's, it's like virtual reality, but in actuality. I feel like bipolar is like playing out of bounds. It's going out of bounds of consciousness, out of the bounds of what we're allowed to experience in consciousness. We have these inner boundaries and when we go outside of those that territory seems scary because it's something unrecognizable, it's something we haven't experienced before. So medications are a way of keeping us from going out of bounds. When in baseball the object of the game is to hit the ball out of bounds. Could be the same with life because the boundaries are, are limits that have been imposed upon us and we stay within those limits because of fear and then if we go out of the limits generally we're told that's something that we should fear when it could be love itself that pushes us out of bounds I listened to Dr. Daniel Fisher's talk that he gave and it's on the Emotional CPR website, and he talks about how psychosis is an attempt to solve a problem, the symptoms of psychosis. And he's a psychiatrist and gives medications, and he says, this is gonna buy you some time. It's not gonna solve your problems. And that's a great way of looking at it. And, and he talked about how only a person and the people around them can solve one's problems, and that we all have an inner healer. And I think, for me, that our inner healer is our own voice and I think by doing this self-dialogue I've been activating my inner healer because if I would just believe the mainstream paradigm I would actually be using my own voice against me by saying their words to me in my voice in my head and that would limit me and he said that it's most important to give people options to move towards what they feel is going to help them. And I agree, and that's why I would like the option to come off my meds, yet there's not really a system in place to make that easier for people to do. And to go with that, I think that pushing people away from who they are at a young age through education and training people to think that XYZ is going to make them happy and make every single person happy is 
the thing that precipitates supposed mental illness symptoms in the first place. So I still think even just helping people to avoid the system or come out of the system is still not even the root of it. And I won't talk about the root now, but... And he also talked about the importance of restoring a sense of self and meaning. And I think that's super important, and that's why I feel like in earlier videos I talked quite a bit about making meaning out of the process, instead of it being a meaningless mental illness. If it has some kind of meaning in the process, well, that alone will give me hope to feel that there's some kind of meaning in the process itself, even if I haven't yet connected to a greater meaning in my life. Because if I just think, oh, this is meaningless suffering, and this is gonna affect me my whole life, that's gonna give no hope at all. And that's part of what I don't agree with in the system either. And Dr. Fisher talked about how the system robs people of hope. Another thing he talked about was that he had a doctor who said that with each psychotic experience that he improved. So Dr. Fisher went through stuff himself and, and his doctor each time he had an episode said, you're getting better. Whereas there is the general thing going around where oh, every time you have an episode you are going to get worse and worse and worse and in my case it hasn't been true either I've had five episodes and I'm I'm not any worse than I was before it started even and he mentioned how in other countries sometimes they'll say like oh it was a bad spirit and now it's gone and people actually recover a lot better in developing countries because they don't have this long-term chronic story happening with all this medication. I'd rather think, oh, that was just a bad spirit. Oh, oh, the bad spirits are coming again, rather than, oh my gosh, my brain is deteriorating and getting destroyed and I'm gonna be a vegetable for the rest of my life. And that's the thing too, is that I feel people can actually come out of this all better than ever. That is yet to be shown for a lot of people. Most people get trapped with the medication and there are no um, tapering strategies and protocols just naturally in place for when a person's ready to to be done with that. So people get stuck on it for long periods of time. And I think it's important to, to make it mysterious. It is a mystery. And making meaning out of the process and saying, well, it happened because this happened in my life and it means I'm not supposed to do this anymore in my life, I'm gonna do this instead and moving towards a healthier lifestyle design as well as a healthier life, well then that's a meaningful process. But generally it's funneled into a, a worse and worse fate over time. And he said it's important for people to just be with us through the process and witness us and be unconditionally loving. And I've talked about that too. He said being with somebody in a fearless way, I would say a love more way. I wonder why we need the light of a loving eye. I feel like if a person is able to hold that state of unconditional love, they're able to shine that light on a person who is in lower and lower states of consciousness, and they're able to rise up through the levels of consciousness to the level of unconditional love as opposed to 
being in those awful low states of consciousness and someone comes along with fear and then carts them off to psych ward for instance versus someone being in those states and someone able to be able to bear witness to that even if it is a bit strange and allow them to sort of flower up into those higher levels till they're in that place where they're able to be integrated to some degree and actually that could just be part of the placebo effect thing I was talking about, how how it's the gesture. They talk about how, you know, a person receiving a pill often does the same if 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 it's the sugar pill, often does the same as the actual treatment. Because they feel they believe they're gonna get better. I feel like that loving witness is needed to actually hold for the person that they are going to get better. So that person with the loving eye is able to be a placebo in a way because in those awful states of consciousness, one feels like one's never gonna get through it. And it feels so painful and scary and terrorizing. It's almost like a mother cradling their child after having a terrible, terrible, terrible nightmare. It takes a little while for the child to calm down. But the love of the mom is enough. So if a person is able to be that placebo, where the opposite is almost when somebody comes at a person who's in an altered state with fear, they are in a way a nocebo, they make it worse. And in those states of consciousness, since one doesn't have one's ego walls protection up, however it is that the person is approached is how they're going to actually be received. And that is gonna change their outcome substantially because they're in an innocent state, innocent in a way that they don't have those normal protections up of the ego so they're more at the mercy of of a person who is approaching them so most people aren't approached with love they're approached with with fear with force and then people act in kind because their level of consciousness is perceiving that and they they can't rationally not be afraid they don't realize that somebody's trying to help them and that doesn't really seem like the most amazing form of help the placebo of a loving eye of not really trying to do anything in particular but create safe space And I have an example of this. I, I have a video that I posted, but I haven't shared yet, of one of the times I was in psychosis, big time. Probably one of the scariest times for sure. We need to change our approach to each other. That's why I want to bring ECPR here because people will perhaps be 
approach with more unconditional love. And he also talked about how relationships are most important in recovery. And I definitely agree with that. And he talked about how he created the National Empowerment Center and it's people first before pills. And he talked about eCPR and how he's very grateful for the people from Mental Health First Aid for developing Mental Health First Aid because it made people with lived experience so angry that they developed eCPR. I made quite a few videos today and I, I kind of want to keep going because tomorrow it'll probably be really noisy in here from the traffic because um, it's pretty quiet right now because of the snow. I just read an article by Steve Pavlina and he was talking about blaming others as opposed to blaming one's own internal mental or emotional capacities. And it was sort of relevant with what I'm going through with my job because I don't feel like I can focus on it or I don't feel motivated and I don't think it's my fault. I think that it's not right for me, it's right for somebody. I'm just not seeing myself as faulty for not being able to do it. So yeah, I would blame the external on that one for sure. I feel like map consciousness is an act of compassion to disconnect us from our programming to see that we're beyond our programming. And so consciousness can travel away from the body to show us a larger perspective. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.